right, so good morning all. You know what, we're not going to waste any time. Let's just go ahead and open up to the book of Psalms. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, just go ahead and if you just open right to the middle of it, chances are you're going to end up in the book of Psalms and we're going to be in Psalm chapter 42 uh, this morning and we're continuing in a sermon series where we're learning what it means to live in peace. So biblically, just to give everyone a point of reference, a scriptural biblical definition, peace is that inner tranquility, that internal sense of security in our soul that we enjoy even if everything around us is out of control. That's a good thing. And this is what I'm doing in this series as much as I possibly can. I'm really putting on my counselor hat which is not something that's very natural or normal or easy for me, but as much as God's allowing, I'm putting on this this biblical counselor hat in this series because I talk to a lot of people, and I am absolutely convinced, and I just know this from conversations, that this is something that we're all very much lacking. And I'm certain of this, that this is the one thing that we all desperately need, I want to feel confident and secure and stable no matter what is happening in my life. And we're all dealing with a lot of stuff that is not easy to deal with. So how can I possibly live in peace through all the challenges that are this world? So this is what we're doing. I'm just going to review real quickly. So in week one, we covered peace through grace. So Peace is a gift from God. Jesus said, and it's a verse that we've referenced every week so far. Jesus said in John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. So it is a gift, and get this, it is a blessing that God gives, not because you deserve it, not because you're good enough, not because you've earned it, but simply because God is loving and gracious and charitable. He says, my peace I give to you. So in week one, the main point is, if you want peace in your life, just come humbly before the God of grace. Come humbly before the throne of grace, and God will willingly, abundantly just give as much as you need. And in week two, we covered peace through faith. So the truth is, all of us, we have to go through all kinds of troubles and trials and hardships and storms throughout our life. And it is possible to endure all the storms in peace. Usually when these storms hit our life, what do we do? We focus on the storm. So like in Mark chapter 4, the waves, the wind, oh no. And so when we focus on the stuff around us that is not going so well, it erodes any ability for us to live in peace. So what we need to do instead of fixating our eyes on what's wrong in the troubles we need to fix our eyes on christ we need to fix our gaze on god his sovereignty his goodness his kindness his power that's faith that's faith it's when we fix our eyes our heart our mind on christ and the the more squarely we secure our faith on the lord the more peace we will enjoy in our life and last week we talked about peace through thinking. So it is, it's not possible to live with peace of mind 
if all we're doing is, is entertaining sinful thoughts with our mind. So if all my mind is negativity and lust and jealousy and just bitterness and all of that stuff, if that is what's consuming my thought, if that is my thought life, I'll never ever be able to enjoy the peace that Jesus offers. So we need to reform our thinking. We need to change the pattern in which we think. And Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 tells us that we need to think about what is true and what is honorable and what is just and what is pure and what is lovely and what is commendable, what is excellent and what is praiseworthy. And as we spend our time in our brain matter focused on those things, we will more and more enjoy peace in our life. And so what we're talking about this week is actually something very closely related to think, uh, peace through thinking. Today we're talking about peace through self-control. Mm, it's about to get hard up in here today. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says this, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Control. So the word spirit in that verse is not a reference to the Holy Spirit, but it's reference to the traits that the Holy Spirit brings to bear upon our life. Their spirit is characteristics that are made true in us as a result of the Holy Spirit being active and alive in us. And the us is true followers of Christ, actual believers, converts, disciples of Jesus. So by grace through faith, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, and he begins a new work so that our life would be characterized by power, love, and self-control. So a few weeks ago, I'm looking at this verse, and something very distinct, profound, and significant just jumped at me as many times as I looked at this verse. And it's the fact that the word fear, that a spirit of fear is placed in opposition or in contrast to a spirit of power and a spirit of love and a spirit of self-control. Well, a spirit of fear, I understand how that's opposed to a spirit of power, right? That if I'm dwelling in the power of God, just majestic, glorious power, and I'm in his hands, why should I fear anything? Because if God is with me, like, who can be against me kind of a thing, right? So I, I get how power and fear are opposed to one another. And I understand how love and fear are opposed to one another. Scripture says, love casts out fear. So, okay, I get that one. But what about self-control? Like, how is self-control opposed or contrasted with fear? Well, here's, here's what God just laid on, on my mind and my heart here. Fear is not only an emotion that pops up when we lack peace, fear is that which creates lack of peace. So it's kind of like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, it's very circular. Peace, uh, I'm sorry, uh, fear, we experience it when we don't have peace. But when we have fear, we perpetuate the non-fear. We perpetuate a chronic state. Because so long as I'm fearful, I can't be at peace. Those are completely separate, right? Does that make sense? So, it's a negative emotion. Peace typically is a negative emotion. I know that there's the fear of the Lord. We're not talking about that. In, relatively speaking, depending on the context, uh, fear is a negative emotion that causes us to react in unhealthy ways. Right? 
If I'm fearful, I typically react in ways that are not very helpful. If, if I'm gripped by fear or if I'm gripped by other negative emotions like anger and resentment and bitterness, more than likely I'm going to react irrationally. If I'm controlled by negative emotions, I'm actually going to end up making things worse. My reactions are going to perpetuate something that makes it very difficult for me to live in peace. Capiche? Right? Right? Okay. Now, so while a spirit of fear, while that spirit is unhealthy, it leads to irrational reactions that only make things worse, a spirit of self-control is a spirit that causes responses that are godly and wise. So fear, fear causes reactions that aren't good. Self-discipline leads to responses that are helpful and healthy and right. Self-control means being disciplined. It is the kind of discipline that we experience because we are now thinking clearly. Because we're, we're no longer like, like just letting our emotions run wild. Self-control is the ability to exercise self-restraint because I'm sober-minded, because I'm clearly thinking. So I'm no longer letting emotions control me. I'm now in control of my emotions. So I know this is a lot of context. I'm just trying to set everything up for today. Uh, as believers, as followers of Christ, we are called to exercise self-control in every aspect of our life. But the one that I want to actually just think about today is emotions. How do we exercise self-control with our emotions? How in the world do I have a spirit of self-control when I know the emotions that I wrestle with constantly and how they kind of ebb and flow and go here and there and depends on which side of the bed I wake up at and all this stuff. So that's what we're talking about. So just imagine this. You're out in Montana, somewhere out there beautiful country, mountains, woods, and stuff. It's just spectacular. I've never been, but I'm sure it is. So just imagine you're out in the middle of nowhere out there. I've seen pictures, westerns and stuff. Imagine you're out there, and you happen to come on a clearing, and you see a wild horse. Cool, right? Now, how many of you are going to actually make your way over to the horse and try to ride it? You may try. I promise you, unless you're some kind of buckaroo, some kind of like real cowboy, it will not go well for you. Unless you're Hector, who grew up with horses. Maybe it might be okay. But let me tell you, if it's me, I know exactly what's going to happen. Number one, it's never going to let me get close to it. It's going to run off. If I actually get close enough to it, it's going to kick me in the head. If somehow I'm able to like throw a saddle on it, which it's not going to happen, but let's say I can throw a saddle, it's not going to let me climb on. And if somehow I get on, it's going to buck me off in like less than a second. And if somehow I'm able to hold on for dear life, it's going to take me where it wants to go. It's not going to go where I want it to go. This is how our emotions are. They're like a wild horse in, in great need of being tamed and in great need of being domesticated. So if we don't take the time to harness our emotions to train our emotions, they're going to kick us in the head and buck us off. If we don't take the time to put a saddle on them and break them in, they're going to lead us in a direction that we do not want to go because they will never, ever take us in the right direction. So we got to saddle them. we got to domesticate our emotions. So just know this. Emotions 
are good. God made us emotional creatures. We're not cyborgs. We're not robots. God did not create that. God did not make us to just think in ones and zeros. No, God made us emotional creatures. Love is good. Joy is good. Empathy is good. Gladness is good. God made us to crave and desire those things and to live those out. The problem is that we're born into our sin. We're born into, into sin with a sin nature. So the sin nature hijacks our heart, hijacks our emotions, and then everything goes haywire. So we have to learn to domesticate our hearts. Just like we need to reform our minds, we need to train our emotions. And this is what we learn in Psalm 42. This is what uh, we, it teaches us to do. It is a real good, real life, practical example of how to begin to get control of our heart and how to get control of our emotions that if we don't, are going to lead us astray and perpetuate a sense of no peace. You want peace? Raise your hand. Who wants peace? All right, we've got to practice self-control. So here we go. Psalm 42, and I'll just share this. The Psalms are by far my favorite book of the Bible. Uh, there's just something about it. Like if God said you can only have one of the 66, this is the one that I would pick because you learn everything that there is to know about God in them. It's just so rich in theology and doctrine. But the other thing is it's real. It is as real as it gets. Like, I relate to the writers. They tell us about their problems and their issues and their struggles. And that's really kind of what we get here in Psalm 42. Uh, we get a, just real life from this guy writing this psalm, a, a follower of God here. So let's just look at the first two verses of uh, Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts. For God, for the living God, when, when shall I come and appear before God? Now, it is really difficult for Americans in the U.S. in 2017 to relate to what's happening in these two verses. Folks, we don't know what it's like to thirst here. We got a spigot and a water fountain and aquafina everywhere. We waste way more water every year than billions of people have to drink and cook with. So we, it's hard for us to relate. So I'm going to try to push here what, to paint a picture of what's happening. The, the psalmist is depicting severe, agonizing thirst. Well, there's a cute deer, right? This is this cute, little, harmless, innocent, leaf-eating, doe-eyed little deer. My cousin Vinny reference. Only watch the TV version. So it's not depicting uh, this little cute animal that just happens to, to prance around the woods and get to this nice little brook or anything. and It puts its lips down to the cool water. It's, it's not that. What the, the psalmist here, the scene that he is painting, is that of the agony, the slow agony of drought. It is a withered landscape. It's just characterized by heat and dryness. And this animal is dying of dehydration. Dying. It's languishing for water. If you know anything about Israel, it is a dry, arid, hot land with very few streams. Very few. 
in between. So imagine an animal, it's hot, it's dry, it's kind of drought conditions, and then you're always on the run because there's always a predator chasing after you. So if you don't keep going, you don't have time, even if you find water, there's no time for water because something is going to eat you. So just imagine the desperation, that constant stress, that demand that this poor animal is suffering, the overwhelming need for just a cool drink, for refreshing and for relief and for hydration. So the psalmist, the guy who writes Psalm 42, he's saying that the same way a deer thirst for water in the midst of heat and drought and predators in that same way he thirsts for the living God he longs yearns thirsts crave not something from God but the presence of God not something that he's like God will you just kind of give me sort of this no he is asking for the relief that only the presence of God can provide so the question is how many in here, it's rhetorical, so don't raise your hands. How many in here would you say that you have that sense of desperate, agonizing thirst for the living God? And as you're molding that question, consider this. Each and every one of us in this room, every person on planet Earth is a deer living in a world that is nothing much than spiritual heat and spiritual drought. You know, originally this world was made to be a beautiful and ideal paradise. This place was supposed to be resplendent and exquisite peace. Just this wonderful, majestic paradise for us to play in. And our first parents, Adam and Eve, they, they botched it. And we'll all give them an earful when we one day see them in glory. But they botched it. They rebelled against God. They sinned against God. They disobeyed God. And they ate of the one fruit that he said for them not to eat of. And that one act of disobedience is what sent God's good world plummeting downward. It sent it down into chaos. That one act of sin actually introduced this world to death and to darkness. So this is what we have now. I mean, we're, this is a war-torn war zone. This world is a graveyard. This world is, is a place of doom and gloom and, and desperation, like all the time. It's, it's this place where it is just one trial after another, and you get over one trial just in time to, to face the next one, and it's one problem, and then there's another problem. Does this sound familiar to any of you? And it's always hard. It's always hard, and it's never, ever easy. Like a, like a car horn going off in the parking lot as I'm preaching, and now my OCD, that's all I can hear. God, help me and y'all this morning right now. Someone go blow up that car. <laughs> Violet, self-control, self-control, self-control. It's constant stress, constant demands right? All the time. And it gets worse because we're like deer and we're always on the run because there's always predators after us. You know how many people, and I mean for real, 
how many people there are on this planet that uh, desire your worst to happen to you? Like, how many people are trying to control you, manipulate you, use you, abuse you, victimize you? How many people are trying to uh, profit off of you? How many people are trying to advance themselves from, from you or at your expense? This is happening all over the place, constantly, whether we even know it or not. And to make it worse, Scripture tells us that there is a devil prowling around like a lion looking for people to devour. Folks, we are deer being chased in a spiritually dry, hot place. I mean, we may, we may inhabit earth, but it is not very hospitable, physically, emotionally, or spiritually. We're deer running around here in desperate need of relief and, re and refreshment. There is not a person on the planet whose soul does not desperately long for and thirst for the living God. Not everyone knows that. Not everyone will admit that. Not everyone will believe that. Many people will deny it and they'll confuse it for something else. But every person on the planet, deep down in their soul, are hungering and thirsting for relief. Name someone on the planet who does not want love and joy. Everyone wants hope and peace. Everyone's craving contentment and delight. Everyone wants relief and refreshment. Everyone wants purpose and significance and meaning. Everyone is thirsting for that which is uniquely and exclusively found in the one and only true living God. Everyone. We are all dear in a desperate place and thirsty. And it's because of our deep thirst that we have way down deep inside is because of that thirst that our emotions go rogue. That thirst ultimately is what leads to fear. That thirst, because we need something in it, right? We need relief, but when we don't have the relief, we go to anger, we go to resentment, we go to bitterness, we go to jealousy, we go to loneliness, we go to insecurity, we go to all of those things. This is why we're so desperately in need of refreshment so that we can get control of our emotions so we have a choice we can either go to the god who quenches our thirst fully or we can drink the sand of the world and stay thirsty and stay fearful and lonely and worried you know that everything you want and you were created to want everything by the way you were created to want everything it's just that everything is found in jesus Everything you need and everything that you want is found by grace through faith in the Son of God, Jesus, who is the living water. The living water. So I ask, have you taken, have you drank of the grace of God? Have you drank of the mercy of God? You know, it tells us in Scripture that he poured himself out. And he did so to relieve our thirst. To, to take that which is empty inside and fill it up with that which is good. So have you done that? Have you come humbly before God and say, God, I've, I'm, I've been pursuing the sand and the things of the world, and I'm thirsting, and I finally realized what that is. It's a, it's a hunger and a thirst and a yearning for you, so I, I now give myself over to you. Lord, fill me. Give me what I need. Have you, have you had that moment in your life? Have you done that? And if you never have, you'll find that once you make that decision, all the fear will start to fade 
and all the worry will start to fade. God will start replacing the negative emotions and transforming them, actually redeeming them and turning them into something good. We go from little children with our heads down where God reaches down and lifts our head. So it all starts by faith in Jesus. So we're running around in this hostile, brutal world that's just full of drama. And I know that Mary J. Bly says no more drama, but unfortunately, there's still, still a lot of drama in this world. And it's full of drama and the trauma and the stress and the distress and all the hardship. So it's no wonder, it is no wonder that our emotions go rogue and we lose control. Because this is the reality. I just described the reality of the world. So I, I get it. I understand that this is why we struggle so much with our emotions. Because this is the reality of the world. So given the fact that we face so many pressures, it's so easy to be plagued with anxiety and stress. Given the fact that we have to deal with health problems for ourselves and loved ones, given the fact that we deal with financial struggles, like most of us deal with financial struggles, given all that, it's really easy to kind of fall into a spirit of fear and worry. And given the fact that someone that we love will turn around and hurt us deeply, someone that we love and they say they love us, they turn around and hurt us. Like it's no wonder that it's so easy for us to kind of fall into hurt and chronic you know loneliness and, and desperation as a result like this world encourages us to be filled with these negative emotions it's doom and gloom and despair it's easy for our emotions to spiral downward this is true of all of us i want you to know that this is natural it shouldn't be it's sad that it is I, I, it's not right that it is. It's not good that it is. I, I'm not going to sit up here and say, oh, you have bad, negative emotions. You're mad. It's sad. You awful, terrible person. Listen, this is true of all of us. We all struggle with one emotion versus another, depending on who we are, but we all struggle. This is natural. I'm not making an excuse for it. I'm not saying we should accept it, but this is just true. It's common to all of us. It's even common to the very psalmist who wrote Psalm 42. Look at verse 3. Here in uh, 42, verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? So, have you ever felt desperation like that? Have you ever felt desperation, so desperate, so burdened that you lost your appetite? Have you ever felt so emotionally uh, out of sorts and uneasy that you couldn't sleep at night? Have you ever so overcome that you really can't stop from crying? Have you ever gotten to that place where it gets so bad that really the only thing you eat for a day or two or three is the very salty tears streaming down your, your face? You know what? This happened to the psalmist. He wrote scripture. And it's happening to him. So if, if this is true of you too, you're in good company. And he says there also in verse 3, he says that his tears, his very own emotions tell him God doesn't care. God doesn't care. Like his own tears, his own emotional unrest is telling him God does not care. You know, it's Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can discern it? Our own emotions lie to us. 
Our own emotions will absolutely lie to you. This is an example that I've, I've, I use all the time. I'm a grown man. I don't watch scary movies. I don't like scary movies. But if I did, I know exactly how it's going to go down, especially back in the day, something like The Ring that was, like, legitimately scary. If I watch a scary movie, guess what I'm doing for about three nights? I'm sleeping with the lights on. I'm a grown man. I'm married. I have a job. I have kids. I know there's no boogie monsters. I know there's nothing under the bed. But I will want to sleep with the lights on because my heart can't distinguish between truth and falsehood. It doesn't know the difference. It just knows it's scared, and I can't tell the difference. It just, I just feel scared. So the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can discern it? Who can discern it? It will lie to us. So there are times that we can get so angry, so bitter, so lonely, so confused, so insecure, so worried, so fearful that our heart is lying to you. God doesn't care. God is not with you. It'll do this to you. It'll do this to you. The struggle is very real, folks. We can hit some significant lows. Like, it is shocking the weight of some of the feelings that we feel from time to time. And the truth is that we have to realize that so long as we stay in that place, so long as we relinquish control over to our emotions, we will never, ever experience the peace that Jesus offers. So we got to do something about it. And that's what the, the psalmist does here. The good news is that we can learn self-control. So look at verses 6 through, I mean, I'm sorry, 4, 5, and 6. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. So what's about to come? He's saying, I'm going to remember these things. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So, if we want to enjoy peace in our lives, we have to start learning how to bring our emotions under control, how to bring, bear them under our, our own hand. And the way that we do that is by practicing RST. Trademark. Recognize peace, recognize, speak, and trust. Trademark. Inside joke, I'm sorry, I apologize for that. Practice RST, recognize, speak, and trust. The first thing the psalmist does when he is in emotional turmoil is recognize that he is in emotional turmoil. He admits it. The first thing we have to do when we're scared is admit that we're scared. When we're depressed, admit that we're depressed. When we're down, when we're, we're resentful, bitter, the first thing we have to do is do that because we can't like, just live in denial over it. And we really do struggle, don't we, to admit it when we're feeling or wrestling with some of these emotions. We're not going to pray about it. Like, we don't even tell it to God. We don't tell others, definitely. And, folks, we don't even tell ourselves. Like, we won't even admit it to ourselves because it must be a sign of weakness. So I'm not even going to admit it to myself. It's really easy for us not to. And I think one of the reasons why is because we become very accustomed to our negative emotions. Very used to them. So here we go. 
I have here what is, in fact, my absolute favorite T-shirt. I wear this sucker all the time. All right? This is 17 years old. It is, I'm certain to Jamie, my sexy T-shirt. I mean, when you got holes in the armpit and when you got holes down underneath, and I mean, when you, <laughs> when you can see through it, it is 17. It says 2000 right there. But man, this is my favorite shirt. I love this shirt. I straight up love this shirt. This thing fits me just right. It's comfy. It's cozy. Like it has conformed to me and it to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just right. This thing has lived with me. I mean, this thing has gone through some good times and some bad times. This thing went on my honeymoon. Like, this, this shirt has been around. And I was wearing it recently, and four-year-old Emmett comes up to me, and he goes, Daddy, your shirt is broken. <laughs> <laughs> Not it has holes. Not it's old, not it's worn out, it's broken. And it stood out to me. You know, that we wear our negativity, we wear our fear, we wear our worry, we wear our insecurity, we wear it like an old t-shirt. And what happens when you wear it long enough, it gets very comfy, oddly. It gets really bizarre world comfortable to us. It becomes like a lukewarm bath. And if you wear it long enough, it becomes comfortable, and then when it becomes comfortable, what happens is you stop seeing it for what it is, broken. And that's how it is with our emotions. Oftentimes, we, we just live in this stuff for so long that it becomes oddly comfortable, and we don't see our emotions as broken. And I want everyone to know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made by God himself. You're made in the image and in the likeness of God. You're endowed with glorious splendor. The God of the universe loves you without measure. Don't ever, ever settle for broken emotions. Don't let it control you. Don't let it characterize you. Don't let it own you. You're made for so much better than that. Ponder your life. Take inventory of your emotions and if there is an emotion that kind of owns you right now that has its control over you recognize it recognize it so that you can begin to take steps to eradicate it from your life so the first thing we do is we recognize the second thing we got to do is speak in verse four the psalmist he has a very personal conversation with himself he has a one-on-one -on -one with just himself, which is the true meaning of one-on-one, -on -one, I guess. Like in, in here, he speaks to his own soul. He's counseling himself, and he reminds himself of a time where things were actually pretty good. Like right now, things are bad, but you remember, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad just recently. You were glad, and you were happy, and you were joyful. You were worshiping God, and life was good. Not only were you worshiping God, you were leading other people to worship God. Man, days were good back then. But the psalmist doesn't only remind himself of the good old days, he reminds himself that it will get better. And so in verse 5, that's what he does. He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. 
Again, I shall praise him. So he's telling his own soul, don't despair. I know it's nighttime right now. I know it's dark, but morning is coming. This will pass. Joy is coming. God's rescue is on its way. So back in January through August of 2006, by far, without question, the most difficult, challenging eight months that I have ever experienced. I don't have time to get into it. Maybe some other day I'll share that. But it was one thing after the other, and it was just a constant fear and confusion and loneliness, and it went on and on, and it was a bunch of different things all hitting at the same time. It was that season in my life. And I shared with a friend at the time, and I shared everything that was happening, just dumped it. And my friend said to me, he's like, how are you functioning? Like, that's what came out of their mouth. Like, they're like, they, they literally said, if I were you, I would literally be in a corner somewhere crying. Like, like what, what hope is there kind of a thing. And I shared with them what I'm going to share with you. I practiced this exercise, and I, I just assumed that God gave this to me in that season. And I would do this thing where I just visualized Jesus 2,000 years ago walking through the streets of Jerusalem. And, you know, these streets, what, you know, they're, they're gravel streets or cobblestone streets, you know, dirt road kind of a thing. And I would imagine that, that Jesus was just walking down the street and you got this big crowd and I'm in the crowd. And as he walks by, I would jump out of the crowd and I would just like stretch out and like grab his robe. But Jesus, in, my, in this thought that I just kept having, didn't, wouldn't stop. He kept going. And so he's dragging me. And so I'm bouncing on the rocks. I'm bouncing on the dirt. I'm bouncing on the stone. But I remember saying, I'm not letting go. I just kept saying, I'm not letting go, Jesus. I'm not letting go. I don't care how hard this gets. I'm not letting go. And I mean, I just visualized this in what was happening. I'm getting beat up. I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. And I know that once this is over, I will be much better for it. So I was speaking to myself. I wasn't going to allow my circumstances or my reaction, my emotional reaction to my circumstances, send me into a spiral downward. So we all do go through these tough seasons and we need to speak these reminders that God is in fact with us. We need to remind ourselves of God's truth and God's love and God's promises, God's word. And this is why it's so important for us to always be in scripture, reading it, meditating on it. Because you got to have the ammunition when these moments hit your life. So how about Psalm 23, verse 5? It was read a while ago. How about this one in your, in your ammo pouch? It says, you, you, God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even when the things of the world circle around me and look to hurt me and look to harm me in the midst of that, God invites me to a banquet where he nourishes my soul. In the midst of cancer, God loves me. When I lose my job, God blesses me. When someone hurts me, God is taking care of me. He prepares a spread before my enemies. 
before anything that would look to destroy me or harm me in any way. God is right there giving everything that I need. Man, you got to have that in your ammo. You got to have that in your ammo bag. You got to be able to speak those truths into those circumstances, into your heart, into your emotional disturbance so that you can get a control over it, so that they don't own you. You got to remind yourself, God is for me. He's not against me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He's going to take care of me. He's going to provide. He's going to protect. I'm in his hands. Nothing can remove me from his hands. So you got to speak. You got to recognize. You got to speak. And the third thing is you got to trust. You got to trust. Look at verse 8. It says, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is not will be, but his song is with me. He's writing this in the midst of a terrible situation. There's still heat. There's still drought. There's still predators. And he says, God's love, his song is with me. See, it's not enough to speak the truths of God and the promises of God. You got to believe it. You have to trust it. You have to believe it. So let me ask you, when you're going through the hard things, when you're going through the really difficult season of life, do you genuinely, truly believe in the depths of your soul that God's love is with you? When it is darkest, when life is at its hardest, do you believe that the faithfulness and the goodness of God is going before you? Do you believe? And the truth is that it is in those moments where it gets the hardest to believe. When it gets really dark and really bleak, it is actually easy to start doubting that maybe there is a God. And if there is, does he even really care about me at all? And when those moments hit, folks, you got to sink your, you got to dig your heels in. And you got to point your heart toward the greatest fact of all time. The gospel of grace. God loves you to the point that he sent his son to die for you. God loves you to the point that he sent his son and sacrificed him on a cross that you may be forgiven of all sin. Jesus loves you to the point that he willingly allowed men to mock him and beat him and whip him, nail him to a cross, that it would go well for you. Like Jesus loves you to the point that he was willing to take all of your guilt and your shame and your shortcomings and your grief and your sorrow and your loneliness and your desperation, take all of that off of you and take it upon himself. God loves you to the point that actually tells us in Isaiah that he delighted, it pleased him to crush his own son that you may receive grace. God loves you to the point that he took your sin and placed it on Jesus and then God poured out wrath upon Christ, that which we deserve, but Jesus says, I will take it from you. I will absorb it unto myself so that you don't have to. God loves you to the point that he did everything necessary to secure your future. That you would have a seat in glory at his side, basking in the riches of his glory forever and ever. 
And if that is true, and it is, if I can trust God with my eternity, then I can trust him in the here and now. And if I can trust him in the here and now, I can control my emotions. It tells us there in verse 5, it says that he, God, is our salvation. He is our rescue and our refuge today and forever in all situations. So the gospel, if you believe it, if you have faith in it, if you trust it, gives you what you need in order to control these emotions that would tell you God's not there, God doesn't care, everything is awful, it's not going to go well. Do you trust it? You have not, if you're a follower of Jesus, just know this, you have not been given a spirit of fear. You have not been given a spirit of loneliness, not one of worry, not one of fear, not one of insecurity, not one of bitterness or resentment, not one of victimhood. God has not given that to you. He has given you a spirit of self-control in Christ. By grace through faith, you are freed from the sin, the sinful emotions that would keep you a prisoner and enslaved. You are freed from all of that. So the day is coming when we breathe our last breath and our body is going to go under and they're going to put a monument, a stone over our grave and it's going to say R.I.P. Rest in what? peace. And I want you to know that you don't have to wait until that day to rest in peace. You can rest in peace today. You can live in the peace that God gives today and tomorrow, the rest of your life, and into eternity. And this world is noise. This world is just loud chaos. And that loudness will absolutely hijack our emotions and lead them in a way that we don't want them to go. So what we have to do is learn to ignore the noise and listen to God. You know, I said that our heart is like a wild horse. I'm, I apologize in advance not to be cheesy. God is the heart whisperer. God, through his Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit comes into believers and he whispers truth and mercy into our heart to calm our hearts, to calm our minds. See, this whole self-control thing, as hard and daunting as it is, it's not something that we just muscle up. God does it in us. His Holy Spirit, he gives us his spirit to teach us self-control. So it's God living and active at work in us through his spirit. God desires for our emotions to be redeemed and replaced, for tears to be a thing of the past and for us to walk in the joy of the Lord. He desires for us to live in true peace. The Old Testament word is shalom, which means total wellness, which includes our hearts. And so this is what God desires, that you would live in complete and total wellness. So don't settle for being filled with emotions that wreck your capacity to live in peace. Folks, don't settle for a piece of peace. Grab the fullness of peace that God would have for you. So I'm going to ask the praising to come forward. I'm going to actually ask for us to do something today we have not done in a long time. You know, every once in a while, I think it's good for us to take a 
physical demonstrative step, a display, an expression. You know, we're, we're not a church that we typically do altar calls or, or anything like that. I always say, you know what, you can do business with God and privacy in your heart where you're sitting. But then every once in a while, I think it's right and good to just stand up and step forward and to just demonstrate humility before God and before others that I want to surrender my life, not just my mind, not just my future. I want to surrender my heart. I want to surrender everything to God fully. And there's some things that are getting in the way. Someone hurt me in the past, and I'm holding on to that hurt, and I just can't seem to break loose of it. So it's time to untether from it. Or maybe there's something that I did in the past, and it was such a bad thing and so, so wrong, and it, did, it was just not good, and I can't quite get to the place where I, I'm over it. And so I have all this guilt and shame. And so we need to untether from that. We need to surrender that away. Or sometimes, folks, it's not that it's something huge that someone did to us or something huge that we did. Maybe it's just a series of circumstances, little, little things just have a, a hold of our heart and just keeping us bottled up and keeping us from being the, the person that God has called us to. And even that, we need to surrender the little things just as much as the big things. Now, I know, I know for me that there are things that just grab a hold of my heart and it's like it is hard hard to strive in that peace that God gives me. And so I need to surrender. So I am asking, and you don't have to, and you know, maybe it'll just be me. I'm going to, while they're singing, and I'm going to ask them, go ahead and come forward. I'm going to kneel up here. And if you're in a place where you feel like God's just asking, so, you know, just take a step this morning. Step forward. Just, just, there's something that God is impressing upon your heart to just let go, that you need to surrender so that you can live in peace. Then just come up here. And just take a knee. And it's, again, it's just, de- it's just a demonstrative, tangible expression, a physical expression of what's happening in our heart. And you can just sit there if you want to and, and sing quietly. You can stand and sing and join the, the praise team. But this is how we're going to end. And I'm just going to go ahead and usher a time of silence until they get started.